1: See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at miro.com with 3 boards free forever. That's m i r o.com.
0: Welcome in everybody to Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf, joined by Gavin Shaw. We are breaking down the Knicks 96 to 86 win over the Chicago Bulls, maybe their last win of the season considering that they're facing a team with something to play for tomorrow. So I guess we will see as far as that goes, but we are going to break down that win and a standout performance by Luke Cornett in our first segment.
1: And then we will continue touching on the rest of this game. Mitchell Robinson, great night rebounding the basketball. Kevin Knox, he had some moments, and uh, we'll we'll take you through the bench as well on this edition of Locked on Knicks.
0: And then lastly, we'll deviate from the Knicks a little bit. It was a win, but it wasn't anything too crazy. So we're going to talk about what was a crazy night in the NBA. Uh, Dirk and Wade's last home games. Jamal Crawford goes for 50 plus points and Magic Johnson just, you'll see when you get there, but it was, it was quite a night for Magic Johnson. All that and more coming up next on Locked on Knicks.
1: You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Knox foul from behind, captain at one. As Fisdale clips his fist. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives down. Oh, oh! oh! Becomes infectious. Oh, Welcome in everyone to Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf, he is Gavin Shaw. We are talking about the Knicks 96 to 86 win over the Chicago Bulls. And we hope that you all are listening to Locked On Knicks on Himalaya. We hope that that's become your preferred podcasting app since we've been telling you all about it. It's really a pretty cool app designed with the podcast listener in mind. And certainly one that I have found useful in my time using it.
1: Yeah, a couple of of special features that you don't get on podcast apps. Alex, after a long, stressful day, I will occasionally enjoy falling asleep to a podcast. And with Himalaya, you can set a little timer, listen as you doze off, but then you're not going to pop up awake 40 minutes later and be like, "Why, why is Joe Rogan just screaming at me? Uh, because you can set a timer and you can make sure Joe Rogan uh, never has to come on your podcast feed. And you only have to listen to an episode of Locked On Knicks where we lull you to sleep with our dulcet tones. And they also give you the opportunity to create playlists and share your favorite podcast with your friends and family on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Messenger, email. However you want to do it, you can, uh, you can use an owl if you're attending Hogwarts as well. Um, they, they give you all the options in the world to share your favorite podcast playlist. And that's why we love Himalaya so much, and we hope you guys are listening on Himalaya. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into this game, Alex. A ninety-six to eighty-six victory over the uh, G League version of the Chicago Bulls. I guess uh, what they're is called the, the Windy
0: City Bulls. Windy City Bulls, actually. Actually, yeah. yeah, it's we, the Knicks played the Windy City Bulls effectively tonight. I think.
1: Sure. Yeah, with Robin Lopez. Like, I it's it's funny because I could see Robin Lopez just as like a bit like, insisting on, like, playing, like, a full season, like, before it retires with, like, a G League team and just, like, acting like a lunatic the whole time, and uh, that's that's functionally, as, as you put it, like, that's that's what this team was tonight, and it was really, I got, like, a real flash of deja vu because in a lot of, it felt, like, a little bit less satisfying, but it was basically the same game when they played at MSG just about a week ago. I think the Knicks went up by, like, the exact same score. It was something like 37 to 19 in the first half. Um, the Bulls tightened up defensively. They made a run. They got it close. The Knicks um, held on in, in a way that, I, I don't know about you, at least to me, didn't really feel satisfying at all, given the level of competition. But you know what? On the bright side, the Knicks avoided infamy. Um, they will not be at least the uniquely worst team in, um, in team history Uh, They will, at worst, tie for the worst record in Knicks history. And if they can beat the Pistons, uh, they will avoid that mark altogether. So I guess that is a positive, even if this game um, didn't really leave me uh, crying tears of joy.
0: Yeah, it really, I mean, to your point, it felt like a mirror image of the game last week. The Knicks went up crazy, crazy big in the first quarter. And then the Bulls cut it all the way down to, I think the, the closest they got it was within five i'll fully admit that in the second half i don't know exactly how close they got it at any given point because i got really distracted by the whole magic johnson thing happening uh and and it really drew my attention away and and quite frankly this game wasn't worth like rewinding half an hour's worth to you know go back and rewatch it um but it was yeah it was whatever i mean i guess like Two strong quarters, and that's all you really need, uh, I guess. And and if you can call a 22-point quarter, a strong quarter. But the Knicks scored 39, 18, 17, and 22 over the course of the four quarters in this game. And that tells a pretty accurate story. I mean, the really sad part, though, is that the third quarter, the Knicks scored 17 points, which should be terrible. And the Bulls scored 18. (laughs) And, like, it was just, I don't know. That quarter was, like, terrible. The whole game just, I don't know. It, like you said, it didn't feel it didn't feel satisfying, given how you know, how high the Knicks got up at one point. And then, you know, when they kind of like pissed it away again, like they did the first time, it was just like, ah, oh, it's like the same old shit again. Like they're gonna come really close to losing the lead and then they're probably gonna hold them off because how could they not? Like the bulls are so bad right now. And they did. And that was just kind of how it was. But there was at least some good like, Individual performances, I guess. Um, Luke Cornett. I know we want to we want to get into first. I think here he had twelve points. He shot five of fourteen, which isn't phenomenal, but he had thirteen rebounds and six blocks, and both those numbers were pretty fantastic. And I think the rebounding. I, I think Cornett. Uh, you know, he had the thirteen rebounds, and I felt like that was probably the Best that I've seen him like use his considerable size because Cornette's a pretty big guy. Like he's not like built, but he's large, you know, and he should be able to use his size to get lots of rebounds. And between him and Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox, I mean they all finished with 10 plus rebounds tonight. Um and, and I just really liked how Cornette was throwing his weight around. And then of course the six blocks, I mean, he earned every single one of those. Uh, and it was it was a pretty great performance on the defensive end for him. So I, I definitely liked you know his game, and I, I thought it was, I I thought it was probably his best, eh, maybe not his best of the season because I would have liked him to score a little more efficiently, but it was one of his best games of the season. I would say easily one of his best all around games of the season. Uh, but I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement with that. Before we continue with Cornette, I, I just I did a little uh, mid podcast research, and I think a stat that perfectly. Um, summarizes the offensive futility between these two teams in the second half. Uh, The Knicks had 39 in the second half. The Bulls had 36. In Monday night's national championship game, Texas Tech scored 39 in the second half, and Virginia had 36. And if you remember, that was expected to be the lowest-scoring national championship game in NCAA history, and a game where both teams often would take over 30 seconds to shoot. Um, So that's that's just pretty incredible, and it gives you an idea of just – how low the quality was and if we sound uh, kind of disengaged on this one that is 100% why but uh Luke Cornette yeah i thought i thought really good night for him it always, it like it it's it's one of those things like it's similar to like the point stuff where i'm just like i i just can't tell how much i should take away from it or not because like like with like mario like you're getting so excited he's playing well and this guy is showing off like a dimension of his game that you didn't necessarily see all year with his own yeah, obviously it's the, it's the scoring and how efficient it's been, and some of the playmaking. Um, with Cornette, it's a little bit less dramatic, but it's him like actually like really playing like a credible big in terms of his ability to like block and alter shots and like rebound at a high level. I think I, I was talking about it last podcast. Um, like Tommy D on Twitter put out some stat that like him and Robinson like altered like over like thirty shots um, last time out. Um, for the Knicks and it's just like it's outstanding but then like you're like okay what's the common denominator why is this guy playing differently over the last five games than he did over the first like 77 or so and the common denominators they're just going into these like shit teams that are like basically like resting everyone and like playing like pseudo g-league rosters or if not like back in nba rotation guys so it just it's hard to gauge like how real it is but Yeah, I mean, on paper, again, just an awesome effort, like 12, 13, six blocks, four assists. Like, I can't imagine, like, I I bet probably that's happened, like, four or five times in the NBA this whole season. Like, you probably plug into the basketball reference and find out. But, I mean, just, I mean, statistically, outside of the shooting, just another great game from him. Yeah, and, you know, like, to your
0: point about how sustainable and, like, why he's been playing better, I think it's since Fisdale has finally sort of embraced, again, playing him and Mitch together. And I just think they they complement each other pretty well. I think Mitch complements pretty much any player well. But you know what's nice about like if you have if you have Cornett out there with Mitch and Cornette gets switched onto the perimeter or something, you know that there's Mitch behind him to clean things up, which is good. But then if you know Mitch gets switched onto the perimeter, a Mitch can hold the zone out there, but b like Cornett can also clean things up on the inside too. So you kind of have like these two guys that are both safety valves on defense. Um, and, and, you know, Mitch, maybe even more so than Cornette, but Cornette can definitely hold his own down low. And that kind of showed out in this game. And then like on offense, they're completely different players and they occupy completely different spaces. So it's one of those rare instances where having a too big lineup doesn't really hurt you, uh, in today's NBA, because, you know, Cornette can definitely just like operate strictly on the perimeter. And he usually does. Um, it, he had a kind of abnormal amount of two point takes today, because he was he took fourteen shots overall and only seven were from three point range. And normally, I feel like that number's higher for him, but uh, or that ratio, I should say, is higher for him. Like normally, he'll only take one or two inside of the three point line, and the rest are pretty much exclusively threes. But even so, like it was, yeah, it was good. I, I it was just you know, again, I don't, I don't think that against. Uh, good teams. He's a starter by any means, but I do think that Cornette has like kind of positioned himself as hopefully an NBA role player going forward. You know, even if it's like the third big off the bench, like I'd be perfectly comfortable with the Knicks signing him this off season with the intention of having him be like the third big off the bench, you know, maybe in an ideal world on a team that actually has something to play for, it would be like mitch starting deandre jordan backing him up if deandre jordan comes back on an affordable contract and like luke cornett is your third guy you know at that kind of center position so definitely you know something to keep an eye on and and you know a guy that i think has a role for himself with this team going forward if the team decides to keep him
1: yeah i'm 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 with that i mean i think again like and and obviously yeah, i mean you can clarify you don't think he's a starter but i mean like the only like I, I I I do really like the combination of him and Mitch, but obviously against better teams like he would just like like him guarding like some of the better stretch fours in the NBA would just be like a disaster just because he doesn't have that kind of mobility, though. I almost I almost wonder if like Mitch will maybe get to a point in terms of versatility where like you could theoretically like like even even if it's like coming off of the bench you could throw out like a lineup with both of them and mitch will be just so versatile that he could pop down and like guard like a power forward and like even like on a one night basis like even if it was like um i'm trying to think of like a really dangerous like stretch for like i know like someone like lowry marketing he could handle but like even if like a team is going super small i like, could like mitch like chase around paul george for a little bit like obviously not. Uh, i'm right thinking now.
0: like miratage like miratage would be a pretty like tough that. cover for him
1: yeah I no there are definitely there are definitely guys that would be less than ideal but like you also like you you look and obviously like a lot of this is like bitch catching guys by surprise but like i think they threw a stat out there in the game that he blocked like 24 um three pointers this year and he he blocked a total of um this was via nylon calculus he blocked a total of um 39 jumpers and the next highest guy in the nba was ben simmons with 22 and, and i mean it's different like when you're like helping out and like just running out on a guard and like he's so long he can get to it versus like chasing around like a four, like running around screens all game. Like obviously that was like, he has his limits, but I think for like a short stretch that could work Um, the whole, I mean, I guess that, sort of idea of being viable and like Cornet being like a viable rotation guy. Like it's I, I've been saying it all year, but he, he just has to be like a 38% three-point shooter. And it can't be like a situation where he's like five for six one game and then like the next like four games he's like two for seven. Like he he just has to like be able to do like three for seven or so, like night to night to night to night. And I I don't quite know if I think that he has that in him, but obviously he's still relatively young. Still, time to improve. If he can get to that point, like I'm, I'm with you. I think he's he's a legitimate NBA player, which I didn't think at the beginning of the season. So that's, I guess, vaguely interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think my perception has changed of him too. I, I thought that he was probably, at best, you know, a, a last man on the bench, like career two way player type of dude, and then they signed him to the regular, uh, to the regular contract this year. And I mean, he got his chances and. He's he's definitely made the most of them. I mean, you know, again, it's a season that you can't really judge outside of this season because, like, uh, hopefully, the Knicks will never be playing the sort of lineups that they've been playing this year ever again going forward. Um, but time will tell as as far as that's concerned. But at any rate, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm ready to wrap up this segment. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about some of the other guys. We've already talked in in future. Perspective about Mitchell Robinson, but we'll talk more about his game. We'll talk about Kevin Knox. Talk about Dennis Smith Jr. and get into some of the other performances in this one when we get back.
1: Welcome back into Locked On Knicks, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Here to talk about Knicks Bulls, but more importantly, we want to tell you about Wise. Wise um, uh, spelled W Y Z E, even though it's pronounced like W I S E is the uh home camera that you need and it's only 20 dollars a camera so there's not really a purpose that's too small for wise uh you can put it anywhere around your house it's 1080p full hd image is so clear that you absolutely will not miss a thing also comes with night vision so uh, you want to hear your way from home um you're worried about security or you just want to check in on your family, you can do that at night uh, using the night vision um, wherever you are, it works with a cell phone, so, it's super duper easy to use. Also, features some two way audio. Uh, we've noted this a couple of times when you want to yell at the kids. Uh, for me and Alex, you want to yell at the pets who, at this point in our respective lives, functionally are our kids. You can do that uh, through the WISE camera. It is multi purpose, it is really, really effective, and it's highly affordable. So, I don't know why you wouldn't want some WISE in your life.
0: And on top of that, if you are not satisfied with just a camera that can stare at one spot, For $10 more, you can get the Wise Cam Pan, which gives you 360-degree coverage in under three seconds. Life moves fast, and so should your camera. It goes 110 degrees a second in rotation. It has 360-degree horizontal range, so there's no spot you can't see, and it has 93-degree vertical range, so it's pretty damn close to being able to see an entire room with just one camera. You can patrol it with Pan Scan which allows you to set a patrol pattern with up to four custom waypoints that it can check throughout the day. And it automatically detects tags and tracks motion within its field of view. So keeping up with life in real time has never been so easy. Also, wise cameras work with Alexa and they have free rolling 14 day cloud storage, which allows you to see up to two weeks of previous recordings. So I can keep an eye on my cats Plotting my demise, or perhaps planning cat burglaries, maybe to even burgle my own home. You never know, they're cats. They are constantly scheming. Uh, at any rate, yeah, definitely pick up your WISE cameras. And if you want the best possible deal, go to WISE. Again, that's W Y Z E, WISE.com slash locked, and you will get the guaranteed lowest price on your cameras. So, Gavin talking about this game I really liked Dennis Smith Jr. and how he played I know you were a little less bullish on how he played in this game but he finished with he he drew kind of a a surprise start because apparently Mario Hizonia, the point god was sick today Uh, so Dennis Smith Jr. and his bad back stepped in in a pinch and he had 25 points on 10 of 23 shooting And he had five assists. He did have four turnovers, which is less than ideal. But I don't know. I mean, it's obvious that DSJ is hurting. Like, his verticality doesn't seem to quite be there as far as, you know, getting to the rim and stuff. But I still thought he did a good job. I mean, he had some of his signature layups where he kind of just bullied his way into the paint and, you know, put up uh, some pretty nice finishes and... I, I mean, his three-point shooting, he was a little overzealous, I think. Uh, he was, he only shot two of nine, but, I mean, it, that's whatever. Like, his three-point shot just hasn't really been there all year. Hopefully, that's something he can work on in the offseason. But, like, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty good game for him, considering that he's banged up. And it sucks that he even has to play, period. But, like, literally with Hazonia out, plus all the other point guards being out, like, if he hadn't played tonight, I shudder to think what, like, 35 minutes of Billy Garrett playing point guard with I, I don't even know like Henry Allenson backing him up I don't even know who would have backed him up in that <laughs> case because picked, yeah Mitchell Robinson point guard uh, Damian Dotson I mean Dotson probably would have been the guy but I was just grateful for Smith's presence and to have at least some semblance of real point guard play for most of this game and he was spelled basically by uh, Garrett when he wasn't out there so I I thought it was a good game from Smith though. I don't know. I don't know about you. I know you said you weren't quite as bullish on him.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm probably. I, I think I was just in a crabby mood watching this whole game, so I'm I'm probably not an objective observer here. But I, I just like his, his three point shooting. Just like can I mean really in this game frustrated me a lot. And I know like it's kind of unfair to judge. Like as you mentioned, playing through a back injury, clearly not fully in rhythm yet. And in the NBA, it's it's very very tough to be a good shooter when you when you don't have a couple of games to get into rhythm. But I I just thought he took like way too many threes in this one. Like I I didn't see any need for him to shoot nine threes when he's getting to the rim at will. And that's just it, it was just sort of like a microcosm of like my biggest frustration with him, because I feel like Especially in situations like this, where like the Bulls, like, literally, like, I mean, uh, sorry to all the uh Ryan Archidiacono and uh Shaq Harrison uh stands out there, like, literally don't have an NBA guard on their roster. Like, he should be like he, he should score like 35 and like get to the rim every time and shoot 12 to 13 free throws. Like, maybe that's like overstating it a little bit and like the fact that he was like willing to move the ball a little and like had five assists. I actually thought he made like a few like really good passes, like in the first quarter in particular, like passes we hadn't been seeing from him over the last couple of weeks. Like those cross court looks like he had two to Knox. Um, I can't remember. I think Knox either made both threes or maybe he missed the second one. Um, So, so he did have some of those moments, but this is just like, I guess like this is the type of game. Like he should just dominate in like a highly, highly efficient way And he had 25 and five and he was 15. So maybe like, again, like it's unfair to say like, oh, like he should have done more. But I I just think he could have traded in like six of those three point misses for like dunks or lay-ins. And it it just, it's again, it's it's less about this game and more about like the total package of what we've seen from him or like lack of what we've seen from him. But I, I just, I sort of think he's still like the same guy he was in Dallas. And that's like just a little bit disappointing to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, to your point about like the taking, you know, pulling up for three pointers instead of driving the paint. Like, I feel like it it almost resembles what we saw from Tim Hardaway Jr. right before he got traded from the Knicks, like where he was dealing with the plantar fasciitis. And then apparently with this like ticking time bomb of a what did he have? He had a tibia hairline fracture that uh, developed as the season went on. So I, I feel like Smith, you know, with his back is kind of in a similar situation where he's probably settling for some of these looks just because, like, that's what he feels comfortable doing when he's in, you know, the diminished physical state that he's in. But I, I feel where you're coming from. I mean, it would be nice to see him do that. But I want to see him get fully healthy, too. Like, it kind of sucks that he, he has to play, like, 35 minutes just out of necessity yeah. this late in a lost season when he's clearly hurting. But he seems okay with it, and he at least – it. it from what it sounded like, uh, I think Breen mentioned at one point that the injury can't really get any worse this year with him playing on it. Like it's just kind of, it's herniated discs. which like I I'm a little familiar with because my dad has suffered from that. And like, it's something you can't really like fix, fix. You can kind of just manage it and figure out ways to, you know, make it feel better. Um, And, and it's just kind of something you have to live with. So, you know, I guess it's sort of, Cool that he's you know dedicated enough to go out there and not like effectively shut himself down for the season by just saying he doesn't feel well enough or whatever. But at any rate, I think I think it's enough talking about him. Um, Mitchell Robinson, of course, I feel like we have to talk about because he had he only had eight points, but he had seventeen boards. I thought this was I, I I think like against Robin Lopez, who sort of like bodied him in the last time that these two played and like really abused him on the boards uh i felt like mitch really did a good job of asserting himself in that category today like he was very assertive getting rebounds and he was he was playing strong and you know really trying to like put a body on guys when it came time to get rebounds and he definitely came through with that and then he also had three blocks which extended his two plus block streak to now 29 straight games so if he does that tomorrow he'll have 30 as a rookie Thirty straight games with two plus blocks to end the season, and that will be—I think he, he's already second uh, all time as far as rookie two plus block streaks. But that'll put him, uh, you know, that much further away from David Robinson, that much closer to Manu Bowl, who had whatever it was, like his forty-something games. So forty-five, yeah, yeah, forty-five. So I enjoyed that. I don't know. I, I, I just I felt I felt like this was sort of a good game for Mitch in other ways than some ways that we've seen already like this was one of the first games that I really feel like I looked at Mitch and I was like wow he's like really imposing his will physically out there like in a in a more traditional sense you know like rather than like blocking the shots he was he was really doing it for the rebounds today
1: yeah I was actually I didn't think defensively this was his best game and I've like notices like i think it might be just like a little bit like mental fatigue like at this point in the season like and physical fatigue probably as well because he's playing more minutes than ever but he just seems to be like over the last few weeks and like again i think it's kind of all sample size and like if you're out there more times you're more likely to have possessions where you've mental lapses and, and they're not like the mistakes are never glaring just because he's like so athletic and so long he's able to recover but i i I've noticed, like I think, more often over these last few games, and like particularly tonight, where he's like he's kind of out of position, and like there were a few plays, like one on one with like Robin Lopez, like where he kind of hacked him, and like the refs like kind of let him get away with it, which was surprising given um, how much younger. He is that he already has that kind of respect, but I, I don't know. I didn't think, I, I thought defensively he was a little bit off. Um, I, I do certainly agree with your point that like physically, like this was awesome and like you kind of need to see it because he, he did sort of get bullied by Rolo last time and like the 14 defensive rebounds in particular, but usually with him, you see like almost like a pretty even split between defensive and offensive rebounds. Like they were really, really needed. And just like the combination, I mean, a big part of it was the fact that the Bulls, missed like uh, 53 shots in this game but the fact that those three like I'm um, sorry if I, I might have said it before but I forgot Robinson Knox and Cornette combined for um 40 rebounds like that that was awesome like they they really like that like I think more than anything else is like kind of what won the Knicks this game is that like in, in what sort of turned into like a street fight a little bit down the stretch like the Knicks like we just like willing to like participate in that. And they were tough enough to pull it off. Like, like Knox was like, if we want to move the conversation forward a little bit and get into him, like he had like that one rebound with like two, three minutes left. And like when the game was like, still theoretically winnable for Chicago, where there was like two or three bowls around him and he just sort of like got high and pulled it down. And, I, I know he has some games where he just sort of like falls into like seven rebounds, but like I haven't really seen him get like a situationally like big rebound that's like really like contentious like all season. And he, he got one in this moment. So that was, that was really good. And even though, um, after like a great start in the first quarter where he was like four for five, like I think he only made like one of his last 11 shots. So sort of a disappointing game from Knox on that front. But the the rebounding for him too, I thought was really big.
0: Yeah, I I thought um, I thought Knox had had a pretty good game like and, you know, over the last few games, I feel like maybe Fizdale and the coaching staff have been instilling in him to like embrace the physicality of the game more because it seems like he's been, you know, between making more of an effort to drive into contact and then like now, you know, showing more effort, getting after rebounds and stuff. I just think that. I I think he's shown more of a dedication to that part of the game late in the season, which it's kind of the perfect timing for it too, because if he tires himself out, you know, playing so physical, like, so be it because it's the end of the season. So he's only got, you know, one more game left and then his rookie season is done. So, you know, no better time than now to kind of test these things out and and maybe even, you know, take kind of a, a gauge on what he needs to work on, physically on himself over the summer as far as like you know what to tackle and weights and stuff like that uh to kind of shape his body because he, he definitely has you know a frame that he can put some sort of muscle onto and and you know get a lot stronger over the off season if he so chooses so I'm glad to see that he's sort of been at, at least trying to practice you know these situations where he needs to kind of throw his body around because I think that he could you know realistically be Within the next year or two with, uh, you know, because, again, he's he's only 19 years old. So, like, he's got a lot of growing left to do physically and and not just, you know, potentially height wise. He has a lot to do as far as, you know, in the gym as well. So it's good to see that he's trying to, you know, embrace these physical uh, parts of the game that could potentially, you know, be better for him down the line as he gets bigger as a as, you know, an athlete.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's something um, I, th- I think we we touched on a few times over like the last few weeks, and I, I know he had that one play. I think it was two games ago where he just sort of caught it in the post, like got a defender on his back, and and just did like a little drop step into the lane for like a layup. And and to me, like like his, I, I actually I don't think I said this on the podcast, but like I I almost think like his. Best case scenario as a player, just because I don't know if he's like ever gonna be like that like Uber athlete on the perimeter that I was sort of like initially projecting as like this guy who's gonna like be you off the dribble, like and then go dunk on someone. Like I i, I just I don't know if he has that in him. And like they, again, obviously he's still very, very young, but um I, I just I, I don't know if I see him developing that. I think alternatively, like a way he could have like a really great career and and this is like we we don't actually like know how tall he is at this point, but if he ends up being like six foot ten, like if he could just really, really bulk up and almost become like not not as good probably, but like a Rashid Wallace type of big almost, and just a guy who shoots like thirty eight percent from three is like really physical but still mobile and still has some athleticism. On both ends, and like maybe that's like expecting like a little bit too much because I think she was probably around like two fifty and like Knox is at like at least preseason he was listed at two fifty and I'm sure he's ahead of that now, but he, he just you just feel like he can add like so much muscle on his frame like that would be a really interesting path for him to go down, and I wonder if that's the more viable way for him becoming a star than turning into more of like a mellow type guy
0: yeah i I still. Go back to my Richard Lewis comp. I just feel like that's maybe where he can end up physically because like Richard Lewis, I mean, he wasn't huge, but he got he got muscular enough to hold his own in the NBA as like a like a stretch four type of guy. And I think he can maybe do that. But again, you know also the mellow thing too. I mean, it would, it, it, I think that Knox, if he can work on his footwork and that sort of stuff, he could definitely have a mellow type of game in his future if he can. If he can also develop consistency on his jumper from different ranges as well, because he definitely, you know, he needs to work on that. But there's a lot of different ways that Knox could go. You know what I mean? He it, For all these, like, great names that we bring up, there's so many, you know, guys that were about his size that just couldn't figure it out that we could also relate him to. But I guess we'll see. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to be, I think, a pretty important offseason for Kevin Knox, especially considering it sounds like the Knicks are going to be in a situation to be playing for something next year. If all of these Durant and Kyrie rumors come to pass. And so like it becomes that much more important for, you know, Knox to really uh, take some sort of big step forward over the offseason season and, you know, really become more of the player that he will eventually be than still being, you know, what he was this season, which is obviously like a raw player that has a lot to figure out still.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm in total agreement. Uh, before we wrap this segment up, I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Billy Garrett, who uh, I believe is from uh, Chicago. I know he played at DePaul um, in college, uh, had a few nice moments out there, had a nice little like running floater. Um, and, and I just sort of, I, I agree with um, uh, Mike Breen's, uh, sentiment I, I think that he mentioned at one point like it's it's cool for like I like I think the way I didn't really actually love the way he phrased it like he said something like um like it's a little different for someone like Garrett than like all these first round picks who were just sort of like gifted like roles on like a team and I guess like you could argue that's like kind of true though obviously those guys like worked incredibly hard to get to a point where they'd be first round picks but it is like there I think there is something like really amazing like and I I I, I believe I mentioned this like the first game that he played, but just about a dude who, like, probably never expected to be in the league, but sort of because of, like, extenuating circumstances, like, for the Knicks, like, them being terrible, and then having all the injuries, like, he got a chance, and just, like, to even to even get, like, one game, like, playing in your hometown on that court, even if it's just, like, 13 minutes, like, that's just, like, a magical thing, so I just, just shout out to Billy Garrett, that's pretty cool.
0: yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I don't know much more to say than that. It, it was a cool it was a nice night for him. And, you know, it's it's been a pretty cool little run that he's put together with the Knicks, even if it isn't super statistically impressive. It's nice to see like kind of a journeyman type guy get an extended shot at, you know, some NBA time over the end of a season for the Knicks. So definitely cool to see. So we'll take a break, uh, head into our third segment where we're going to talk about the non-Knicks news of tonight, because there was certainly a lot of it. So we'll get to all that and more when we get back to our third segment here of Locked on Knicks. All right, welcome in, everyone, to the third and final segment of today's Locked on Knicks. Although this one, this particular segment is not so much Locked on Knicks, this could probably pass for the Locked on NBA show, because we're going to talk about some around-the-league news, because it was it was just a busy night in the league today. So we decided to, you know, take a take things in a little different direction rather than blabbering on about another, you know, late season Knicks game in a tank season. We're going to tell you about a couple of the other interesting things that happened. First thing is Dwayne Wade and Dirk were both playing their final home games tonight, which we now know for sure it was both of their final home games because Wade obviously had been doing the whole Uh, one last dance thing all season and had telegraphed that he was retiring at the end of the year. Dirk had sort of left the door open a little bit for potentially coming back another year, but he confirmed after tonight's game that he is definitely retiring uh, as reported by Shams. So we know that's a done deal. And both guys scored 30 points in their final home games of their career, which is kind of wild that they both hit that exact number. Um, And I, They both got wins as well, which is pretty cool to each get a win on their home floors. It's even more impressive, I think, for the Heat, considering they're facing an actual playoff team um, who I mean, they they didn't have Embiid out there. But I mean, they still had Butler, Harris and Ben Simmons. So that's pretty impressive on the Heat's part that they managed to win that game. But I don't know, Gavin, like I I have uh, my favorite. So (laughs) my favorite moment from each of these, from what I've seen, I, I, I admittedly, I was, I was watching the Knicks game and then paying attention to the Magic Johnson stuff and didn't really watch the actual games themselves. I just kind of saw things happening as they unfolded on Twitter. The two coolest things I thought was Dirk. Uh, as he was on the court at one point, the Mavericks played like this nice tribute video to him, like kind of saluting some of the uh, public service he had done around you know dallas and all that and he got like really teary-eyed on the court and had to like wipe his eyes and you could see his eyes were like all bloodshot and that he was very choked up in the moment Thought that was a neat moment because dirk always struck me as a very very nice guy and someone who uh you know cares a lot about that community down there so it, that was cool to see that that's like the one thing that's managed to like really bring dirk to tears this year is is like his community service to dallas and then uh <laughs> this is probably disrespectful but my favorite part of the wade one <laughs> was when the whole crowd like in unison and it sounded like the whole damn building started started chanting paul pierce sucks <laughs> uh in response to paul pierce saying earlier this week that he thought that his career was for sure better than Dwayne wade's which is preposterous uh i i thought that was hilarious and i think that's a nice thing that you know despite all of the Stuff between Knicks fans and Heat fans, we can all agree that Paul Pierce is a pile of garbage.
1: Yeah, that was that was good. That's my favorite part of the Wade of the Wade thing. You, um, I, I love I love that they both had exactly thirty points because it, it's funny. They're like obviously they're like rivals and like I think most people who are, are Dirk fans hate Wade and most people who are Wade fans hate Dirk. Um, I mean I, I obviously have have the benefit of at least from a team perspective being relatively neutral and in in 2011 uh, you bet I was, I was rooting my ass off for that Mavericks team, which I like just a hell of a lot more than like the new uh, big three heat heat squad. Um, But, but Wade and Dirk, I think might be like two of my five favorite players ever. So like this, I mean the season, like the all-star game, like this night in particular, like very emotional for me. Like I think those two, like as much as like just about anyone else in the league, were I mean maybe maybe sans, uh Steve nashville put in his own category, but those those two were just so essential, like to me falling in love with basketball and like both like I mean obviously like I, I don't love some of the stuff Wade has said about Dirk and like him making fun of Dirk when him making fun of Dirk being sick in that finals I didn't think was the best, but I mentioned like meeting Wade and like I'm sure like you and like I have like most of the people listening it like if you haven't I recommend you do like saw like that. Um, I think it was like it was like an Anheuser like Bush commercial where like it was like Wade like um, like they, they set it up where like Wade could like meet up with like all these people like including his mom that he's like impacted over the years and it was like um, one was like um, like the sister of like a victim in like the Parkland shooting and like Wade like put um, her brother's name on his shoe. For the next game and just like and I mean, I mean again like just meeting him and like listening to him talk like i think i think those two are like like all in all like full scope of their careers like just two of like the classiest like most like well-intentioned like human beings in the nba and the fact that like both were like so transcendent and like special while like simultaneously like i don't think like it's, it's kind of hard to imagine like two more different Players in terms of like what made them great, and like two more different human beings, like in terms of like background, like from like Chicago to like Würzburg, Germany. It's it just like it's it, it's amazing, and I think it really speaks to like what the NBA can be, where it's like this like melting pot, and like people can have such immense success. Um, both like I mean, just obviously like looking completely different, but also like playing completely differently so i i think i i don't i don't really know how to wrap this up but i guess i guess though I, I i will say that those two guys represent the best of the nba in, in a way you just don't you don't see very often so i think i think it's a massive loss for the league it's a massive loss for me personally and I, I wish them both the best on the way out
0: yeah it is kind of funny when you were just saying about like you never quite knew who to root for between the two it is it is funny that like I remember back in 06 when Wade and Shaq were going up against the Mavericks. I was rooting hard for, for Wade and Shaq because mm. I did not like that Mavericks team one bit. And then when everything flip-flopped in 11, I was rooting very hard for the Mavericks to beat the Heat because I didn't want, you know, the LeBron and Wade Heat to to win a title in that first year and, and the Mavericks beat them that year. It was just very funny, you know, that— there was such a flip-flop between their their careers. And honestly, I'm not a huge fan of either organization that either guy played for. Like, I really don't like the Mavs, and I really don't like the Heat. But I can respect each guy as a player. And, you know, it says a lot, uh, you know, about these guys that pretty much any fan base, whoever you talk to, everybody's like... You know, Dwayne Wade seems like a genuinely good dude and he's easily, you know, easy to root for. And same thing with Dirk. He seems like a very good dude, very easy to root for, even if I hate the team as a whole. So to your point, yeah, definitely a big loss for the league. Uh, Speaking of old dudes, uh, freaking Jamal Crawford had (laughs) 51 points. Talking about former Knicks, man. 51 points in that same game that Dirk had 30. Uh, Jamal Crawford was a lot more efficient, though. He shot 18 of 30 and 7 of 13 from three. Uh, he also somehow managed to sneak in five rebounds and five assists to go with the 51 points off the bench in 38 minutes. I mean, that's crazy, man. Like, you know, Devin Booker was out, and, you know, the Suns. The Suns had been playing better lately, and uh, just freaking insane from Crawford, man. I didn't think he still had 50-point outings left in him. And he just like busts out this gem right at the end of the season for all of us. So that was that was pretty cool too. I mean, I just I I always liked Jamal Crawford when he was on the Knicks, and I do, I always hoped that he would have one more stint here, and maybe the dream's not dead. Like if he doesn't retire this year, then maybe the Knicks can bring him back as like a you know a veteran leader type next year on a veterans minimum. Who knows? But I I hope I'd always hope that he could come back to the Knicks one more time. Just to maybe drop a game just like this one on somebody at some point. But I, I guess we'll see if that ever gets to happen. But it was cool to see him kind of go off.
1: Yeah, two two crazy stats to come out of this one. I mean, one, Crawford became the oldest player in NBA history. Like, I think he's like almost 39 uh, to score 50 points in a game. And he also became, and this, this one was even like nutsier to me, The first player in NBA history to score 50 points for three different teams. He did it with Chicago. He did it with New York. And I didn't even remember this, but he did it on Golden State. Apparently, which is just—I mean—that's that's, that's kind of stunning. And, and just situationally, I think it's nuts because I was—I basically like I was keeping up with this game in the first half, and then I was like, okay, better do my actual job and watch the Knicks game, and like kind of shut it off. And like I looked at one point, and it was like 107-103, and that was just like nuts because this was this was totally like the Dirk Coronation game. Like the Mavs were up by like 30 to halftime. The Suns, who were like like on their own, like already one of the two or three worst teams in the NBA. Not only did they not have Devin Booker, they didn't have. Kelly Oubre, they didn't have DeAndre Ayton, they didn't have T.J. Warren. Basically, like five of their top, um, like six or so, or even six of their top seven players were at him for Crawford to get fifty-one in thirty-eight minutes, eight of thirteen shooting, seven of thirteen from three, eight of nine from the free throw line. Like, I gotta go. Like, I literally, like, I like didn't even watch enough of this game to really even see him score much. But I'm I'm super duper excited to go back and watch the highlights because I mean that's that's just ridiculous and like. I think it would have been like it would have been almost like I'm, I'm kind of, like even as like um like a Suns uh Sun Stan, Suns fan, fan. Um I'm I'm happy Dallas pulled that out, but I think it would have been amazing if like Crawford just kind of ruined the night and, and scored like 55 and they and they somehow managed to win that game. Um still, I incredibly Alex, I don't think we got to the most insane thing that happened tonight.
0: Yeah, uh <laughs> Magic Johnson, man. I just, I don't even know where to start. Like All of a sudden, you know, you're on Twitter and then you start seeing all over the place Woj and Shams, you know, are tweeting like Magic Johnson is stepping down as president for the Los Angeles Lakers. And then like all of a sudden you just see all all these people tweeting about like Magic is holding an impromptu press conference right now at the Lakers facility and he's resigning as president of basketball operations. And then you start seeing all these. I mean, he literally he did just like a Q and a sesh for like two hours. And then you realize like he, he says like halfway through or not even halfway that he's like, yeah, I haven't even told Jeannie Buss about this yet. Jeannie bus, of course, being the, the owner of the Lakers, he's like, I haven't even told her about this yet. Like, I just don't want to break her heart and I didn't want to fire Luke Walton. So I'm resigning. And I'm like, what is going on with this? And he's talking about how he just really wanted to be able to like tweet at players again And not be looked at as a bad guy, like because of his interactions with Ben Simmons earlier in the year that got called tampering. Like, what a what a freaking disaster (laughs) this year was for the Lakers, man. I mean, to to put all this time and energy into bringing on Magic, and then for it to end this way with him. I mean, I don't. Does this like rank right up there among like some of the most awkward? resignations in NBA history like right up there with like uh Pat Riley faxing in his resignation to the Knicks. I mean, I feel like this has to be right around there.
1: Yeah, I think my 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 favorite part about this was like Woes just like going off on him an after and like like it, it felt like he was like saving this like all year. And he was like, he's like, you know what? Like I, I could, I could just dribble out these nuggets over time, but eventually like something's going to explode there. And I'm just going to be able to drop this all at once. And he fired off like a six tweet, like barrage. Like the first one uh, he wrote since taking over as president of the Lakers, magic Johnson never fully committed to the job. Often he was traveling and away from the team. His office hours were limited. He didn't do a lot of scouting running an NBA team takes a tremendous amount of of excuse me takes a tremendous commitment of time and energy and like the the fact that like what was just like editorializing at the end of that like it just makes me think like this was like something that was just constantly pushed on him and then like the whole like notion that like the lakers coaching staff was like fully expecting to get fired and that um johnson was was in fact planning on firing luke walton but like just imprompt or spontaneously decided to resign before he could even get to that. Like the whole thing is just is nuts. And like I I was kind of thinking like initially like when they hired like Polinka and Johnson, like, okay, this probably is gonna end well. Because usually like I mean the biggest lesson I think we've learned like from Phil and like not even just from that, but like across the board in the NBA is like one to coach, but to to um i or maybe even more crucially to be a general manager like you have to like grow up in that field and you have to be like indoctrinated in that to a degree like if not it's like it's very very hard to just like jump in as a gm and commit compete with these sharks like you could do it in like 2002 and 2003 where like most of them were idiots but now like Jet, like on average, like these guys are really, really sharp across the board. And like to think that like just because Palinka like represented Kobe and like had all these relationships, like um, that it was going to be successful, I thought it was nuts. Like I mean, you can give him all the credit in the world for getting LeBron, but I think LeBron was going to do that. Like even if you had like a shoe, like managing the Lakers, like I don't think it had anything to do with Magic. I don't think it had anything to do with Palinka. Um, so I, I don't know. I just I thought this was doomed to fail from the start, but I, I couldn't have predicted it would be this spectacular.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He really, he really went out in a blaze of glory. I mean, it was, that is like, I, I just, I was dumbfounded some of the stuff that he's saying, like he literally said at one point, he's like, I've been going into meetings and people keep talking about next year, next year. And I just want to be like, I'm not going to be here next year. <laughs> and I'm like, good to see you think it's a funny joke that you're like leaving this franchise high and dry after you had made a commitment to them. But I don't know. And then he made a he made a comment about, D'Angelo Russell, someone asked him about him and he's like, yeah, well, you know, he was immature. And I'm like, look, I'm no, like, D'Angelo Russell, like, huge fan, but, dude, like, you're you're announcing your retirement via press conference without telling your boss about it. And they're not retirement, resignation, whatever. Same shit. You're you're announcing this via press conference rather than talking to your boss about it. And you're calling someone else immature. And, like, it's gross it was just it was terrible it was terrible but spectacular I, like I loved watching every minute of it but I was like man if I was a Lakers fan I'll be sick right now although maybe also relieved because magic kind of drove them into the ground this year but at any rate yeah um
1: did you have any other around the league news to add or I, I think I'm pretty much done for this one yeah no I'm, I'm kind of burnt Paul, Paul George hit a three with two seconds left to stop the Rockets from getting a two seed but it's almost like that doesn't even compare to everything. Yeah. That, that just that just feels normal compared to yeah. everything else. So I, I think I think this is a good place to end it. Uh, just a wild, wild night of NBA basketball. Oh yeah, the the one thing uh we forgot. Um Anthony Davis uh, showing up in the that's all folks, uh when and then not playing in his last game in the Pelicans, Would you still that 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 like the fact that like I mean not I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I think we both want to go to sleep. But I mean, I I just I'll never get over the fact like and I I get why it happened. But that like one of the more transcendent players in the NBA and a guy who I legitimately believe has like top like 10 to 12 player all time talent just like sat out like half a season, basically, like when he wasn't injured. Like I'm that's that's just nuts to me and just tells you how weird the league has gotten.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like among among pro- probably the biggest power play I think I've ever seen a player and his agent try to make was Anthony Davis this year. I, mean, I guess we'll see how it goes over the summer now because now neither of the two, well, at least I, I shouldn't say GMs because uh, Palinka's technically still with LA, right? But yeah. ne- neither of the two head guys in charge that were trying to negotiate the deal to get him to LA or in place anymore. So I guess we'll see how that all goes. Uh, over the offseason with brand new management on both sides, if they can even by July 1st, nail down new general managers and presidents of basketball operations or whatever. Might I suggest Phil Jackson for the Los Angeles Lakers, since he has yeah. deep ties to the community. Yeah. Uh, it would be, a, a Phil and Kobe regime. That would be phenomenal. I would be so down. I would love the theater of that one. <laughs> but at any rate, we'll uh, we'll call it quits for today uh make sure to listen to us on himalaya next time you listen to locked on nicks or wherever podcasts are sold google podcasts apple podcasts spotify stitcher etc and be sure to give us good ratings if you enjoy the show uh, other than that we'll talk to you tomorrow actually gavin you're gonna be off tomorrow yeah
1: yeah i should i should say my goodbye this is my last this is my last recap of the year and we, we, I think only probably ended up spending 50% of the time on the game. So and that's just fine with me. Yeah. Well,
0: at any rate, I will be back tomorrow to recap the season finale at long last. Maybe I'll bring a special guest with me. I'll see who I can, who I can wrangle up until then. Enjoy your day today. And I will talk to you tomorrow.